Hello and welcome back to the RA21 podcast. My name is Aaron and as always, my co-host Ryan is here with me today. We hope that you guys had a very good month in the last month since we saw you. And today we're going to talk about a very good topic called an all-in topic. And before we start, Ryan, I have a good question and how have you been doing? I've been doing alright. Um, really busy. Uh, but yeah, um, always on top of the markets. Very, very volatile month last month but um other than that yeah i'm pretty doing pretty all right how are you uh well as usual you know busy but it's been good it's been a good month you know as uh, always markets up market down market sideways left right you know like every single youtuber out there lah you know market can go up market can go down left right you know and you know uh as as always lah but um i think today we have a very interesting topic to talk about because uh, we titled this topic all in but what it really is is uh, you know capital allocation right because if I were, we were to title this capital allocation then obviously you know I don't think the algorithm will take it off lah because like uh, you need to be able to market it better so that people will be like kind of interested in understanding what this is and I guess before we start right like I guess the first question I want to ask is what is all in to you Ryan? Yeah uh, all in um, is pretty much to me um, very good capital allocation. It's doing a service to your money by allocating it to the places where you can grow the best, where you have the odds, the, the best odds to grow it at like an exponential rate over the years. If I were to put it like loosely in a definition way of speaking, I would say um, leave no cash uninvested. That means like 0% cash, 100% invested always. Yeah, and I think that is a very interesting um thing that you mentioned about going all in right because um i think for many people right in from my perspective right they are always all in um depending on their risk profile right because usually there's four types of uh investments that people make the first type of investment that most people like to buy is property right the second type of investment that people don't actually know they're investing in and that is cash the third is stocks and uh, recently of course there's cryptocurrency and i think when we talk about all-in, right, what we are really saying is that for most people, you know, whether or not you like it, right, you are actually all-in something. Because end of the day, there's no such thing as you not allocating your money, right? Because, like, sometimes mm-hmm. when people were to buy property, right, and then they are really, like, leveraged to the hill, you know, they are paying off their mortgage by 60%, right? Then you realize that their capital allocation for their future income is really 60% into property. Because, you know, when you when property takes up, like, 60% of cash flow, right, it leaves you very little room in order for you to buy actually uh, anything else. Lah. And even if you buy, right, it will not be as significant as putting more than 50% of your income into uh, a singular um, and concentrated bet into property. Right then, uh, I've also met people right who all in cash, you know, for like many many years, you know, and usually these are these very old, and usually yeah, usually yeah, um, these are the people who are very old auntie uncle, you know, then they are very scared to invest their money, right? So so because they're so scared that uh the stock market will crash because of some like doomsday article and you know on recently the youtubers don't help right they always like oh you know it's gonna crash it's gonna die you know we're gonna get doomsday you guys better stock up seas you guys better like you know all this like uh like all this like doomsday talk you know then what ends up happening yeah is that people just keep you know staying into cash right and then they don't invest their money and then 10 years later the s&p 500 goes up by three times (laughs) (laughs) right and uh, of course there's also stocks you know Um, but I guess the most common thing that people buy uh, is stocks uh, because 
um, especially in the younger generation, right? People do enjoy buying stocks because um, the information is so readily readily available. You can so easily readily find a community, you know, who you know in really good dive deep and actually understand the stock from a very fundamental as well as a future seeing uh, perspective, which is quite rare during my time. And of course, cryptocurrency, that one uh, we have dedicated two entire episodes to it. So you know, <laughs> that's a very huge sector <laughs> as well. Yeah, and you know, I guess. Th- in order to like further on this question, right, Ryan, what do you think is the main difference, right, between going all in investing uh, versus holding cash? Well, it's uh, pretty straightforward. I think we echoed this um, fact enough in um, the crypto episodes that we did in the past. It's basically just to protect yourself from inflation. Mm-hmm. Because inflation and um, your taxes also is like the silent killer of your position if you if you have any positions in money in cash uh-huh. so um when you are invested your, your your money is like protected it's not um going to be um eaten up by inflation so mm-hmm. that's really that's really the main point i see uh when when you know i i go 100 percent all in on my investments and i don't hold cash yeah. Have you actually like, you know, personally like um had a point in time where you held a lot of cash and you didn't invest your money? Yeah, um it but it was a pretty short period, uh and it was not a lot of money as well. It was the time between uh I graduated from university and uh to till the time I bought my first ever stock. So that was like the point in time like I wasn't sure what I was doing. Investing wasn't also in my mind. I didn't really know what was inflation. And uh, I was always told, like, you should keep um, a good amount of money in your bank account before you decide to do anything else. So uh, I just blindly saved. And yeah. Mm, I think, you know, I, I, I really echo a lot of your your situation when you say that there was a moment in time when you held cash, right? Because that's how I started myself. You know, when I started working, I had to find avenues for me to grow my money faster. And that's when I also started to all in since day one. Now. Um, you know, as a disclaimer, I've been, as I mentioned many times, I've been investing since like, um, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011. So it's been a good 10 years since I bought my first stock, right? And I've seen many like narratives come and go. La. You know, you guys... A lot of the younger people, right, they always see, like, all this, like, crisis. Uh, they know they always think, like, it's the first time that shit like this has happened. But the fact of the matter is, if you've been in the markets long enough, right, you realize that a lot of these narratives are just, you know, um, narr- rotating narratives that, you know, tend to always repeat in some sort of manner, right? So it's like, you know, Harry Potter and then, you know, every single episode is the same. You know, then if you watch Pokemon, every single episode is the same. Team Rocket comes, then, you know, uh, they get killed by Pikachu. Then the, the Team Rocket fly out to, and then you see a twinkling star. So it's like, it's pretty much like all these like narratives, right? It's a very like wash and repeat type of narratives. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something to worry about. And the difference between holding all in and holding cash, right? Coming back to this question is that I have met many, many people and there was a point uh, of time, right, myself, right, and where I held a lot of cash. And before the COVID crash uh, in March 2020, my cash holding percentage was 95%. I think most people, uh, I, I think this is the first time I've like actually disclosed it. Like one year before the big COVID crash, I actually cashed out a lot of my investments. And then um, honestly, I felt extremely horrible. Um, in that one year holding cash. You know why? Because I don't know whether or not a crash is going to come. 
And the reason why I did it, right, is because, um, you know, I kind of took the gamble um, that I shouldn't have, you know, in hindsight, that um, valuations were out of whack. Lah. So I've been in a position where I've helped cash uh, many times, right, anticipating a crash. And it just so happens that when I did it before COVID, right, I was very lucky that the crash did come. But personally, if I were to go back and ask myself, right, if I could do it all again, would I have actually gone all in or whole cash? Right? I would have probably gone all in. Because the fact is, there's many people, right, who did this, um, they, they like they tend to like to say that a crash is coming, right? But the fact is, most of them, right, um, pre-COVID, right, did not see COVID coming and they did not see a crash happening, right, due to COVID, right? And this yeah, is something exactly. which, and this is something which, you know, as, a, as an investor, you have to be honest with yourself, right? Because, it's very easy to take a broad statement, right, and say that the crash is going to come. And then when the crash comes, you say, you, you can either choose two ways to go around it. Like you can either choose to say that you were right. Um, but the question that you really have to ask is, did you really foresee the event that led up to the crash? And in most cases, right, I can tell you that 99.9999% of people out there, right, certainly did not see, um, you know, COVID happening, right? And then um, the difference between holding, going all in, right, is that, to be honest, right, when you are having a portfolio, right, that really goes all in, what you realize is that, you know, you really just don't really have to make a lot of strategic decisions, right, going forward. Because um, for go those of you who do not know, I do speak to Ryan quite often on Instagram, right? I think there was one time, right, where he mentioned to me, which I, I felt it was such a good um, and insightful sentence, and he said that I have already done my homework, so what difference does it make about what the news actually say, right? And I think this is a very, like, <laughs> You know, it's, it's very wise because, like, honestly, right, that should be the, the narrative going forward because I think most people, right, the reason why they don't go all in is because they're very scared of that 10 or 20% drawdown, which we, you know, we, you know, including the audience have witnessed in the last, like, um, 90 or 120 days, right? All of us have seen it, you know, stocks do go down, you know, we don't just go up, right? Eventually, like, you know, nothing goes up forever, but... Um, actually, actually, something does go up forever, lah. Um, you know, uh, the S and P five hundred, right? Um, but eventually, during this like trend up, right, there will be times and moments in times in the markets where the drawdown happen, right? And I think this is one of the biggest drawdowns that a lot of these um newbies have seen uh, since twenty twenty, right? Because uh, they only understand in the last two years it's an up market only and they don't really see down market so a lot of them degen and go all in but the funny thing is the moment they actually wear on all in actually buy good investments right they manage to actually skip 10 years of understanding right that that actually is the correct approach to take when you invest your money <laughs> which is which it took me 10 years to actually like get here right because I've seen like five, six, seven, like, downturns um, in the last 10 years of more than 15% in the S&P 500. So, and I've seen some of my stocks go down by 70, 80, 90%. And during COVID, uh, the 5% holding which I had, one of them, right, went down by 95%, right? So, um, it's, I'm not new to looking, seeing uh, crashes happen. Uh, it does come, and I think for most people, when they go all in, right, they have to expect that crashes will happen. But it really definitely beats holding cash in the long term. Because when you hold cash, right, the most difficult um, thing that a person has to do and to make a decision in is when are you going to deploy your money? And that is a very hard question to answer uh, personally, right? Because it's like when you go in, when when you have that huge amount of money, right? You know, and it's very comfortable, right? Maybe you can say it's 10, you know, 10 times your annual income, right? Most people, right, they don't have that ability and mental flexibility uh, to go 
100% in during a crash during COVID. No, right? they don't. They absolutely yeah. don't. Uh, it's, it's going all in, number one, is already very psychologically grueling. And when you have like this innate fear that the market's going to dip more, what ha- what if you're, you're not catching the absolute um, bottom of the market? You know, what, you, uh, what if you're buying the dip and then it dips further? You won't go all in when you have all these kind of like fears behind your, your mind. You know, it's yeah, especially just, if it's especially if it's a huge amount, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, moreover, if you're dealing with like five or six figures worth of money, you won't go in because uh, that that uh, when you fear, and uh, I think that's human nature in general. When you fear, you 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 tend to like um, choose fight or flight, and in yep. this in 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 uh, this kind of moments, it's it's just wiser to not go all in. I agree. And that is what exactly happened during much of COVID um, in 2020. Because I clearly remember, right, March 2020, I was not even in Singapore. I was actually abroad uh, during, and of all countries, I was in, like, freaking Italy, right? And, <laughs> like, ground that was zero. a huge... Yeah, it's, like, literally ground zero. So it's, like, of all places. And I could remember very clearly, right, I was in the ground zero and I could see, right, that COVID was not as bad as the what the news actually reported. As what oh, really? Singapore news reported. It was not as bad as what it was reported. That, that is a fact <laughs> because I was actually there. All right. Uh, I can tell from the ground zero, right, like what was reported that was happening over there is actually not as bad. You know, people were still going their day-to-day lives. Obviously, they still had some, like, closures at 6 p.m., but people were still, like, living their lives, right? Uh, it was not as bad as, uh, as what the news say. They say, like, oh, you know, it's like so disastrous. People running left, right, center. It wasn't the case, you know. It was very calm, you know. The place there, you know, people are still living. People are still nice, you know. Um, and that gave me the confidence, right, to actually really, um, invest the my cash allocation during that time. And I was telling people on Instagram. Obviously, back then I had I hadn't created my Instagram handle, right. And then um, I was telling you know people. I was calling up my friends. I was telling them you better invest right now. I say because you're waiting for a dip, right, for the last five years. You know this is it. Right, I say, uh, I don't really foresee this going to like you know, uh, drag out because uh, from what I see, right, it's not as bad as what people say, lah. Right, um, so it's so during times of a crash, it's very important, right, that people actually go down to ground zero and really check whether or not is it as bad as uh, what the news is saying, lah. Right, and during that time, I think COVID, I had some sort of uh, information advantage because I was at ground zero and I saw what was happening and I realized it's not as bad as what uh, people say, lah. You know, because it's pretty much a self-induced mm. type of uh, situation. Right, so um, personally, I went I went hundred percent during all in right during the March COVID crash, and I did quite well. But I would say it was combination of luck lah, because I was uh, lucky to be in a position right where I could see what was happening on the ground zero. And then um, ever since then, I've been like hundred percent invested. So I hold. In fact, right now I'm more than hundred percent invested because I actually owe money. Uh, I actually took out a, a loan to actually invest more. Right, and that's pretty much like the thing lah, and. I could clearly remember when I was calling up people and telling them to invest their money right now, right? I can tell you, right, the large majority of people, uh, they don't. They, they simply don't have that discipline and that mental flexibility to invest because their scared is going to dip more. And I, get, I, did, I guess this stems from human greed, right? When something dips like 20%, right? Then people, oh no, it's going to dip further. I'm going to buy when it dips 30%. Then when it dips 30%, no, I'm going to wait until it goes 40%. Then when it dips 40%, no, I'm going to wait until it's 50%. Then when it goes down to 48%, I'm going to press the buy button, it jumps back up by 40%. <laughs> I guess this is really like a, a function of human greed, right? Like um, when you want something to go low, 
I think it's very difficult for you to take a position, right? That you'll wait for it to go lower because eventually human greed is all of is in all of us. You know, you want it's like it's the same thing as when you want to sell, right? When you want to sell something, you say, okay, this is my uh, sales uh, price target. Okay, I'm going to wait until this price target to sell. Then when it hits that price target, I'm going to wait for it to jump by ten percent more, then twenty percent more, then thirty percent more. Then when it jumps by twenty five percent, nearly hit already, right? Then it crashes back down by forty percent. Yeah, that's usually the case. Yeah, and I, mean, I guess this in, in trading in general. Yeah, pretty much, right? So I guess like you know, it's not very wise to keep holding cash because you are betting on the fact, right, that you are able to make um, all-in decisions, right, in the moments of crisis, which mo- most people do not have, right? So I guess like for example, if you were to take the route of all-in, right, I guess the next question I would like to ask uh, you, Ryan, is what do you think is a wise capital allocation? if you have a portfolio where you go all in? That's a really interesting question. But um, capital allocation, if you go all in, I would say you don't want to waste your money on things that don't matter. So that includes um, things like, uh, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, things that don't grow as much, say like um, more uh, certain value stocks, um, dividend stocks, you know, I mean, if you take a look at like inflation, inflation is 7%. And how much is your dividend stocks uh, yielding? I would say like at max, at um, the best is probably 5 or 6%. That's not enough to cover your um, inflation. And then uh, we don't factor in whether the stock goes up or down. But if you want to talk about like the net gain out of your dividend stock, that's not going to be a lot. And it, it won't beat inflation inflation by a mile, unlike um more high growth um assets like you know Tesla or tech in general or a crypto. And uh while we're at it, you know, certainly uh I'm not throwing shade at this, but um actively manage uh investment funds. That's a complete waste of your time if you are going all in, if you are betting your whole net worth or your whole entire savings on some random fund manager's hands that you've never met, I would say uh, you're crazy, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. um, because, uh, like, recently we had the whole fiasco with um, uh, some, some fund that I would not name. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I think it, it's a pretty good eye-opener for a lot of people uh, that, that, you know, put, putting your entire net worth in someone's hand is um, just insane because these guys, they're out to earn a salary and that salary comes from um commissions and trades mm-hmm. they certainly don't care about your money and they will not hesitate to buy high and sell low <laughs> yeah i mean they're, they're literally more degen than i am you know <laughs> that's true <laughs> at least if i buy high i don't sell low <laughs> oh god like <laughs> but uh... yeah i mean um like but uh, on the flip side, you know, uh, what my cap, my personal capital allocation is looking like is more like sixty percent crypto and forty percent stocks. I oh, you increase your allocation in crypto? Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I I made like a like a shift in uh my holdings, but uh yeah, it, it went up. Uh, crypto went up by sixty percent, and um stocks are like forty percent now. And yeah, um I decided to go uh like um heavier on crypto partially also because of like growth potentials it's always uh, it's always uh going back to like the growth potentials for me what has the best odds of growing um 10x what has 
um, the best fundamentals. And um, and uh, as I much uh, as I as much as I hate to admit it, um, stocks do have uh this glass ceiling of like uh valuations. Yep. Um, you know, even if it's like a hyper growth stock like Tesla or Palantir, their time if their time has not come, um, it 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 won't do you well to like uh you know go balls deep and like hold for the next five years. I mean. There's nothing wrong in that, but uh, you just have to be mentally prepared that it might not go anywhere for the next five years. But crypto mm-hmm. is a little different, you know. Crypto, uh, fundamentally, uh, we see the whole world adopting crypto, and I just see a lot more certainty versus um stocks. If I if I factor in the the valuations and all the uncertainties like politics and stuff like that, um, versus crypto. Because like the adoption on crypto is just massive, and that's all I need for conviction. Yeah, and guys, if you are interested in what our take is on crypto, we have done full two full entire episodes, <laughs> that, episode uh episode three and episode one, so you guys can go and listen to it. I think we covered it very extensively, lah. Um. Okay. There's three things, three points which Ryan mentioned, which I want to reiterate. All right. Uh, the first point that he made right was that about fund managers, all right? And I think that is a very good point that he has made. Um, for good, those of you guys who have been following us on our Instagram channels, right? Both of us have publicly declared, right? Publicly said it uh, in late 2020, early 2021, that we completely sold out and do not um, ad- uh, do not recommend, you know, we cannot say advice, we, we do not recommend people go with that particular robo-advisor. Um, I hate to say it that we were right, uh, but unfortunately, you know, um, I think the main reason why both of us decided to publicly come out against that particular fund manager, right, is because they make decisions, right, which we felt was very... Um, I, it's not so much the fact that they reallocated the portfolio, it's the fact that they reallocated the portfolio and basically didn't admit to the fact that they fucked up. Yeah, the it's, it's all about the dishonesty, I would say. And yeah. then while they are preaching, you know, um, long-term holds, long-term holds, hodl, 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 but... Um, the truth is, reoptimization happens way too often. Yeah, and their portfolio is looking more and more like a like a doomsday advocate, right? Because it's like they're allocating more into gold, which I don't understand why, you know. And then if I'm the higher risk tier, why do I need twenty twenty five percent allocation in gold? It's quite stupid, lah. Because it's like from the get go, when I invest in something, I don't want to hold commodities, right? So exactly, I think it's I think it's a very like huge eye opener for most people because this particular um, mutual fund manager, right? Right, they they actually have been quite popular and effective at their marketing lah. And the worst part, alright, is that when you market something and basically use your marketing, um, the fact is right when you market your services right, and then you basically like concentrate your marketing on the fact that you have been outperforming in the last three to four years, right, and you use that as a draw for people, right. When you underperform, right, you need to be prepared, right, to take the hit, right. And if you were to you have been following the social media on this mutual fund manager. Right, I think it's a huge red flag that they completely right do not even reply to messages at mm, all. Yeah, right, it's don't. a huge red flag. It's a huge red flag to me. So personally, you know, uh, we won't name the fund manager, but I think you guys should know who we're talking about. Uh, Brian and I did mention many times that number one, we have really completely withdrawn our you know monies from that fund manager, and we do not really like 
recommend that you guys uh, hold. Uh, because I think there's a lot, of, it's a fundamental issue. It's not a question of like whether or not their service is good. I think this stems from bigger issues of not addressing the fact that they are basically not practicing what they preach. And I think that is something which is hugely wrong. All right. And what you can learn from that is that if you do decide to put your money to a fund manager to so-called all in, right, then you better jolly well make sure, right, that um, you also view them, you know, as uh, you have to look at their track record, right? You have to make sure that when you put money with these people, that number one, I think it's very important that they own up to their mistakes, lah, right? If yes. people make mistakes, it's fine, right? But own up. If you don't own up, right, then it's a huge red flag because it's like, then what's the difference between like you owning you and an ETF, right? So, um, so capital allocation during all-in, there's many ways to do it, right? So that was the first point that Ryan made. The second point that Ryan made, uh, I would like to summarize it as saying, it will never go wrong, right, buying what you know, right? Because there are many, many people who come up to me and they say they prefer to buy property, they pre prefer to buy, um, you know, this particular fund, they prefer, prefer to buy China, they prefer to buy um, a company that they're working in sometimes, right? You know, some of my, some of the people who come up to me, they actually do work at Shopee. So they love buying a C Limited because they can see, you know, um, how the company is operating inside, right? So that is a very huge testament to, to, for me, right? To know as an investor, right? That the company must be doing something right for people to actually like love the company so much that they would invest uh, the money that they're paid by from by the company and then invest it further into the company, right? Because it, it it's a really huge sign, right? That the company is doing something right. And uh, that's why for me, when I look at C, right? When I know, when I see this, right? It's a very huge um, green flag for me, right? That this company is doing something right, right? And uh, that's why I talk about it. La. But unfortunately, I don't own C because my portfolio is full, right? So um, the question, the thing I want to point out is you will never go wrong, right? Owning, owning something uh, which you really know um, very detailed about and that is why when you look at our portfolio right like um, like you look at Ryan and my portfolio we are very heavily concentrated in stocks right and then ideas which are very similar because the fact of the matter is right the, the reason why we are we have such high concentration into these ideas is because we know the investments very very well we know it very deep, you know, we really go deep, we really understand the company, we really can see like, okay, the next five to 10 years are what can happen. And that is really what investing uh, really is because a, a lot of the times, right, people put money into cash and they, they basically like all in cash. It's very simple, you know why? Because they can't see the future because they're so uncertain what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years. They've not done the homework to basically like have conviction and build the conviction and build the ability, right, to see what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years. That's why they hold cash, right? They don't exactly. dare to invest because uh, they cannot see like, oh, you know, uh, like crypto is growing, like is growing faster than the internet. You know, within 10 years, we're going to hit a billion users, right? They cannot see it because they've not done the homework. So it makes it very psychologically uh, difficult for them, right, to hold, right, uh, especially during downturns. And capital, a good capital, a good sign of capital allocation, right, to reiterate the last point, all right, is that during huge drawdowns uh, of like even 50% for crypto, 30% uh, for Tesla, and then sometimes 50% for Palantir, a good capital allocation, right, you know you have done it right, right, is that when during a drawdown, you feel absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's all right. like a that, really good point. Yeah, that's that's a huge factor to know, right? That you have done your capital allocation very well. Personally, I've seen my portfolio take a hit in the last ninety days, right? But for me, I don't really care that much. You know why? Because I allocated my allocation very well. Because I know that a portion of my money is inside index funds, and though, even though index funds are down fifteen percent, I treat my index funds like in my emergency fund, right? And actually, that leads us to our next question, uh, Ryan. And do you think emergency funds are important? Um, it depends where you are in your investing journey. 
uh, because this question really ties back to the fact that whether you have holding power or not. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, if let's say I am in my in, in the early stages of my um, uh, investing journey, so I'm still constructing my portfolio. I mean, yeah, uh, if you go all in, what, what else is there to talk about, right? Just dump all your money inside. But uh, no, uh, I understand that, you know, early on, you may want to have some cash buffer because, you know, yeah, uh, maybe you're just starting out in life. Uh, you, you're you planning to get like a new car, you know, all that thing. So in all in all, in the early stages, whether um, emergency funds are important is um, it ties back to your uh, personal finance management and and also like holding that. power. So if you don't, if you if you know in the short term you can't hold, then don't buy. Yep. Because that's uh that's just good uh personal finance management. Because if you are investing, uh, if you follow us, you know we we tend to invest for the ultra long term. So that's like five to ten years. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, it, it's not ultra long, but it's the, uh, <laughs> to, to 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 some people in today's language, this is like ultra long, really. But um, yeah. uh, it, it ties back to whether you need the money in the short term or not, because holding power uh is the key factor here. If you cannot hold and some some emergency happens, you will have to sell at a loss if you're at, uh if you're going all in. That's the 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 biggest factor. So. I would say it happens more when um you're in your early stages of your investments, and then uh when you settle down in life, generally after like um one or two years of like investing in the markets, uh your financial situation is getting better, you know um and you have your all your shit in life sorted. Then I would say, um don't get cash, mm-hmm. and uh by then by 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 uh if you reach that stage at that point in time, you will probably be harnessing the power of credit cards as well. Yep. So um yeah, uh emergency funds are really just there to make you feel safe. Yep. And I would say like if you are just starting out in life or you are in a period of time where your life is a bit uncertain, then I would say keep the cash and live your life. Don't don't take that cash as like um uh your bullets for investing. Um just take that cash, go live life. And yep. yeah. But um it, it's it's all about holding power and and uh, whether you can just hold for the long term if you're going all in. Yep. I think your point about emergency funds, right? Um to keep you feel safe and secure is a very valid one. Because I think end of the day, right, this is a very relative and personal question that people have to ask. Right. You go through stages of life when you're young, you know, you have a lot of upcoming commitments. Emergency funds are really as you know, as they titled very eloquently, is used for emergencies, uh, you know, because sometimes you don't know uh whether or not shit is going to happen, right? So that's why you keep an emergency fund. And the common um and the common uh guideline is to keep like six months of your of your emergency funds as cash, right? And I think Ryan made a very good point in that you know, if you don't have holding power, right, then probably it is pretty bad personal financial management because it's like if you're eating, if you're like basically like spending your life in credit, then you otang many people, right, then you're like baking like bare minimum, then 
you should probably shouldn't be looking at investing as your first protocol in terms of good personal financial management. Now you should be really looking at your cash flow and then asking whether or not you can um, increase your income. Number one, because that's the highest return on your time instead of investing into money. And number two, if your fund size has gotten to a point right where you can have the luxury of you know making sure whether or not you don't want emergency funds, that's where you can start to explore into options of having multiple credit cards or credit cards to ensure that you have that emergency fund in credit, uh, which is what I personally do, right? Um, for a very long time in my career, I always had an emergency fund. And uh, sometimes I find that my emergency fund is too big, uh, but it gives me that sense of uh, false security la, because uh, <laughs> I realized like over the years, right, I think it's very important for you to ask yourself, right, as a person, whether or not you need that much cash. Because I think a lot of people get addicted to the point uh, that they always like to say that this cash is for emergency, right? And then what happens is that this emergency fund, right, the cash pile keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And by by then, by the time they hit 55, uh, they are so comfortable with the fact uh, that this is an emergency fund. Uh, they have a lot of money, but then the money didn't grow and it, get, and it gets eaten away by inflation, right? And mm-hmm. it's so important, right, uh, especially if you're young, uh, to, ex- to be, get comfortable, right, to be exposed to risk and volatility. Because I find that uh, exposure to risk and volatility uh, is a young young person's game. Uh. You don't really want to like start your journey uh, into volatility right in your mid-40s when you are tied down and have kids and all this uh, because you <laughs> won't have the temperament, psychological state right to be able to like learn this skill set. It's something which I feel that it can be trained and it's best to do it when you're young. You know, that that is why when I started in my career, I didn't have emergency funds. It wasn't until uh, when I hit my mid-career where I started to have a little bit of emergency funds. In fact, I've always invested um, hun- close to 100% of my savings uh, into investing when I first started, right? And then uh, even more even more so, I actually took on debt early on to actually invest my money, right? And so I'm more than all in, right? And then like... that's a really good point that you pointed out, like um, how you have uh, some cash as buffer in the form of index funds yep and uh it, it ties back to it goes back to like holding power in general you know the longer you hold the higher your return of investments and then that creates that buffer that you can comfortably take profit whenever um you want because you are you're you'll be always selling stocks for a profit yep and you don't even have to hold an index fund because if you do your capital allocation well, right, your emergency fund can also be in shares that you know you will perform during a downturn. You know, like for me, people always ask, Aaron, do you invest in bonds? I tell them straight, no, if I want to invest in bonds, I'll just invest in Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. Because they're better than a bond fund, right? I had uh, Warren Buffett, okay, he's been underperforming, but look, this guy, his business, you know, has $150 billion in cash, right? He's still like a, a brilliant investor. You know, I'm not necessarily will get the same amount of return as the S&P 500, but I don't want so much volatility. So my option, if let's say I want to have a bond fund, right, for a person who's like, you know, like my mom, you know, she's like um, 60, right? And then she wants a bond allocation. I don't put her money inside bonds. I, took, I put her money inside Berkshire Hathaway, right? Because in, you, 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 when you get deep into like understanding how to allocate your capital efficiently, you start to realize, right, that there is a very huge... Um, optionality, right, for you in the investment sphere, right, to actually put your money uh, to where your risk profile matches your investment. And I think that is something which most people don't seem to understand because they seem to have the delusion, right, that their risk profile is always holding cash or holding property, which is not the case. Because even in the equity space, right, there exists investments, right, where it is very stable, it is very revenue generating, and it doesn't, it is not as volatile as you think it is. And it performs better, than property, 
and uh, mutual funds. And that is a fact. All right. If I can literally like um, point out one equity uh, that matches your risk profile, which will return better than whatever mutual fund you can buy. Right. And it matches with your, your volatility like uh, exposure. La, right. So like I, I think this emergency fund coverage, the, the point of the matter is, right, I would like to advise most people to don't get addicted to emergency fund because end of the day, right, the time cost of holding too much cash uh, is quite big because um, for a person who starts investing at age 20, right, for you to get to a million, uh, I believe you only have to put like 250 or $300 a month and then within a time span of 10 years, right, if you don't start investing earlier, right, then the number, I think, jumps up by uh, 40 or 50%. And every single 10 years you delay your investing, right, the number just keeps going up exponentially, right? So um, I think the message is don't get addicted to emergency funds because end of the day, you know, your the, the bigger cost is not really your your opportunity cost, you know, the bigger cost is your time because nobody lives forever, right? Um, yeah, so I guess the next question is if you have a lot of like emergency funds, right, then they're looking for deploy, right? Is waiting for the crash the right move? <laughs> this one's, uh, this question's uh, for the people who watch like uh, one episode of the, the big shot and then start calling for a crash. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I would say not everyone's Michael Burry. Even Michael Burry uh, did not have the balls to shot Tesla through everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he, in the end, he just called it a trade, you know, but um, fair enough, you know, but uh, I do not think um, waiting for the crash is, uh, is the right move. It's like waiting for the one in the relationship. <laughs> you yeah, know, then you don't come. want to, you'll never, you'll never do the work. La. I, I would absolutely just um, like, Put my money down and bet uh, where, that you won't buy when the market crashes. If you're holding like that much cash, that's just in the human nature, you know. Yeah, um, actually, if actually if there, there was a book, uh, was a bookie for that, I'll put my money on that too because I'm pretty sure I'll win. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like like uh, we said like uh, earlier, you know, it's it's in it the the human fear, you know. I I don't blame that uh, you fear, and I absolutely don't mind that people fear as well it's just part of human nature and if you like think about it psychologically it's all about when you fear you you want to do something about it so it's either you run from it or you fight it and 90 percent of people would choose to run away because uh like what happens if it keeps deeping you know yep. <laughs> only people who knows what the hell is happening which is the 10 percent will actually deploy capital i will i'm not going to say like um everyone won't buy when it crashes because like like uh Aaron mentioned he was sitting on 95% cra uh, cash before the covid crash and uh that's the example of like the 10% that I'm talking about it's like you actually know what the hell is happening you literally sell high buy low <laughs> yeah uh, for, for for full disclosure uh, for full disclosure uh, I'm not that smart uh, I, I think I was more lucky <laughs> to be honest because I as I mentioned right I did not foresee covid happening Mm. Yeah, my 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 positioning was due to the fact that I find that markets were expensive and I needed a catalyst, so that's why I got out. But for full disclosure, uh, I think that one was really dumb pure luck. luck. It was pure luck. I admit it. I acknowledge it. But yeah, that's why I say it's it's ninety percent of the time people won't buy. And and um, it's not just me who says this. Warren Buffett also say uh, echoes the same thing. He always says that the best time to invest is now. Although he's holding like I don't know how many uh, hundred over billion in cash now. Yep. But he, he is deploying capital in some places. It's just yep. and, and also he in his uh latest shareholder meeting he did admit that it was uh 
failure on his part to um fail to fail to find like uh investments that met his criteria. But he is he is uh deploying capital in certain places, uh like Japan and uh all that. It they were pretty good investments in my in my opinion. Yeah. But um in general, it's always a good time to invest if um you have like uh, a long term vision and yeah. uh, you DCA consistently because it's just impossible to time the market. Yeah, I think people who always echo like I can time the market, right? Um, usually these are the people who get two to three percent returns every year, lah. Because in the end, they end up sticking their money into treasury funds or fixed deposits. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean this is a fact, alright. I've not met a single person, right, who tell me that they're gonna buy a dip who actually bought a dip. None, yeah. right? Like None. even for me, when I buy, right, I was lucky, right. And um, before that, my backdrop is that I have a I have a propensity and a habit to actually like really. Uh, double down on my investments and really go very deep and invest a lot. So I think my example should not be used because I think I was lucky, right? And then like, um, I think end of the day, right, waiting for a crash and then um, it's really not the right thing because numerically, right, okay, let me give you an example. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, right? Let's take Bitcoin for example, right? 90% of Bitcoin upside, right? Since the creation of Bitcoin, right? 11 years, uh, for 11 years, right? You know how many days were responsible for 90% of Bitcoin's upside? It's probably less than 10% of the, the days, right? Yeah, it's not even 10%. You take the numbers and you calculate, right? 63 days. Wow. Okay. In 11 years of Bitcoin holding, uh, if you had missed 63 days, right, of holding Bitcoin uh, or buying in, right, you would have literally lost 90% of the upside of Bitcoin. That is same not... goes for uh, this analysis done by... Uh, a bank on um the S&P 500. If you miss the 10 best days since um yep. 20, 2008, I think, yep. uh, you would have exponentially lower returns. Yep. And we have seen the perfect example in the last week. How much yep. did Quap jump in one day? My God. How much did Quap jump in one day? You tell me 40%. And who missed the 40% jump? Uh, I don't want to name the person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to name them. They miss one day, uh, one day the jump, uh, but jump very big. Uh, but that is a very good example of why you don't fucking like um hey. time the market. Exactly. Right? Because like you realize that um okay, so statistic aside, you know, we have a very good example in the last week, right? People like miss 40% jump, right? And we also have very and I have given you right, and if you actually were to equate in terms of percentage, right, where Bitcoin um the best uh the best days right that is equal to 90% of the return now uh, is only less than 2% you know the 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 money is made in the waiting uh. you are waiting for that for for this 63 days you are really waiting for this 63 days because uh a lot of people don't understand volatility does happen to the downside but it also happens on the upside and as rare as it is to the that it wicks down there's also times when and uh where it wicks up which is even more rare and you hold for, for for times like this. Yes. And I can tell you, uh, I've been following like Bitcoin technicals, uh just just as as a as a just for fun, right? I can tell you uh, every time you wakes up, right? Every single technical person I know got that fucking thing wrong. They got the call wrong. Every single one of them got it wrong. They never like foresee the the, the jump at all completely. Every single one of them got it wrong. They got the downside wrong, they got the upside wrong, they got the left and they got the right wrong. So nobody knows. Okay, what I only know as an investor, is that in 10 years, right, I'm pretty sure this network will get bigger. That is what I'm very certain in. And that is why people like Warren Buffett, people like Peter Lynch, right, a lot of these people, right, they don't focus on what is going to happen the next week. 
the next month because they don't know. They admit they don't know. And that's why they're so smart and that's why they're such good investors because they look 5, 10, 15 years down the road. It's exactly the same as to why Jeff Bezos is the richest man on earth because when his shares crashed 95% during the dot-com bubble, right, he could see 10 years ahead this business is going to work, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of this, like, waiting for the crash things, uh, people seem to seem to believe they have this God-given ability uh, to be able to time the market and basically have nothing to show for it. <laughs> I mean, right? the, the attempt to uh, buy low and sell the top, it, it's, it's, it's just a lot of, like, uh, time wasted, you know, in my opinion. You can never catch the absolute top. You can never catch the absolute bottom. Technicals and uh, your so-called algorithms, they're not going to help you because unless you are judged based on a day-to-day basis, then probably, yeah, that's something that you might want to take a look into. But for 90% of the people out there, we are not uh, traders by profession. Yeah, um, even if you are a trader by profession, right, you can look at the, the biggest bet that George Soros made, right? right? That fellow, right, he didn't... The, the trade came... Let me be very clear. People who like to use George Soros as an example, uh, if you really go down deep and look at how he made money, right, from the ringgit, you know, and the pound, right, he let the trade come to him. He made a big bet, right, when the trade were in his favor. And that's why he made a lot of money. He didn't... I think it's going to crash, therefore I make that bet. No, he didn't. He let the trade unwind, and then when he saw it, he went leverage up. And that's how he made a lot of money. And I think a lot of people believe that, you know, he made money by actually, like, being able to see six months. No, he didn't. He actually, like, doubled down on his bet, right, when the, it was going in his favor. And that's why, you know, he's such a good trader. Also, technically, he wrote the, the wave down. Yeah, yeah, precisely. That 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 that, that doesn't really make uh make a difference if um you're you're riding the wave up. You know, it's equally yeah. degen in both ways. Yeah, he didn't he oh look, he's the original degen, okay. Everybody who say like, you know, or AME, I say, alright, look, the original degen now uh, is George Soros, alright? He basically like wrote the wave, right? He didn't give a shit <clears> about whether or not fundamentally it was going to happen, but he basically uh was the original GME. And the fact is that he achieved made money which most people can't you know a lot of people bought EMC GME how many of them made money yeah he he knows when to close his trade that's like the 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 differentiating factor between him and like most people I would say yeah I would say the the key point that you write there is like if you are going to trade then I think also like being able to take profit is also something which uh is another like skill set lah because it's easy to ride the wave uh, but getting out of the wave oh that's difficult yes right so yeah, so like I think we covered the waiting for a crash thing, right? So assuming let's say you are all in, you know, you have a fully invested portfolio, then I think a lot of, I think I have this question quite often, is that how do you deal with the fat, right? When you have a 100% all-in portfolio, how do you deal with it? I would say like at the beginning, fat is extra sensitive when I was all in. Yep. Uh, oh, it, it affected yeah. me more, more than it should should have. Yeah, I can imagine. Looking back. <laughs> Uh, I think I think uh just talking to you over that uh that few months I think it was like back last year November December I think uh you were getting a bit fed up with me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like a therapy session. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it did, it did feel like a therapy. But look, you weren't the only one. Now. <laughs> I mean, uh, as I as I that that was like what led me to do like the the cleanse content cleanse because yeah. it was getting toxic it was really getting toxic and uh i couldn't take it and yeah. um so i just went to do a content cleanse i unsubbed from uh people like meet kevin you know uh things that just don't add value i unsubbed from i uh the mass media and i just 
stopped uh, reading news all about it and focused on my life and focused on um, holding, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I'm past that now. And uh, the most recent drawdown didn't really affect me anymore. So oh, yeah, great. I think I think um I think I kind of like grew from that, and um uh, the content cleanse did help a lot. What I really uh what I really like got from it like was like you know like how I said like if the news is big enough I would definitely hear it yep. on social media or whatnot, and that's that's uh legit the truth because yep. like uh the the recent uh, aggression on like the the Ukraine and uh, Russia I I did not foresee uh, uh, I did not. Um, read that from like the newspaper or whatnot. It's all from social media, yep. and um, it was the only thing that I I I I found like uh that could like change my investments. But uh, even then, <laughs> I just decided to to hold because it's temporary. Um, I don't pay attention to like all the so-called rate hikes and um by the Fed. So I don't really care what they do anymore. Cause um, to be to be really honest. That is not your job as uh, a long-term investor. That's the CEO's job. Yep. <clears throat> it's their job to navigate through the, the the economic uncertainty. It's not your job. Your job is just to damn uh to to freaking hold. Yeah. So yeah. Actually, Ryan, I really appreciate that you actually share your story about your fat cleanse uh and therapy sessions. Um. Okay. So you know, as you can see, Ryan has already fully recovered. You know, he's uh, six months clean. <laughs> yes, I, I'm. I'm free from addiction now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think. Okay. Look, dealing with fat, right? Like, it's very amazing for me to actually see like Ryan go through this process because uh, I can relate to it because when I was first starting in investing, right, I also had to go through this entire like fat cycle. Um, and I can share with you guys from experience, right that um every single time there's a fart right it's an opportunity for you to make money mm, yeah that's very true right? every single time right if the news is big enough uh, the bigger the news right the bigger the opportunity that yeah. is something right you need to condition yourself right as an investor to see when there is fear and blood on the streets right there is a chance uh, for you to make a shit ton of money right there's a lot that's why you know there's a lot of people who say like you know china um you will not recover and whatever, whatnot, right? Personally, I don't invest in China because, um, you know, I've given my thoughts on it. You know, I don't invest. But it does not mean that I'm not happy for a bounce because I'm happy that some people made money. You know, I'm what I'm very sad is uh, if people uh, bought at the top and then, like, you know, they lose 70%, right, of their capital investment evaporate, right? Uh, but it does not mean that I cannot be happy, even though I don't invest in it for it to bounce. Because if, if more than anything, I'm relieved that it bounced, right? And mm -hmm. end of the day, it's about being able, if you are very firm and convicted in your investments, right? Then honestly, less than 0.1% of the news, right? Is usually big enough uh, for you to actually take any action and for you to actually review your portfolio. Right. Ryan has been on the cleanse, I think, since last year. I think like five, uh, close to five months right now. And yeah. honestly, the only story uh, that has made, honestly, if you really sit back uh, as an investor, that really made me question whether or not my allocation is right, uh, is honestly the Ukraine and Russia crisis. Oh, yeah. That, that's really like the only story. Then uh, when that had broke out and when that happened, I took a step back and then I evaluated. So the process is I evaluated every single one of my positions and asked myself, uh, should I change the allocation? Right. And the answer after the end of the exercise, I realized is no. And what you come to realize when you are 
in the all-in portfolio, right? As Ryan mentioned, the majority of your time is spent waiting for the investments to play out. And when there's a lot of this like so-called fear, uncertainty, and doubt, uh, you will start to realize when you start to disengage yourself further and further away from the daily happenings, right? Even for interest rate hikes, that businesses which are good know how to navigate it as what Ryan mentioned. You know, you talk about inflation, you talk about interest rates. If you invest in a good company, right? I give you a very good example. What did Tesla do in the last week? They raised prices. Precisely. Done. That's, you know? that's exactly what I say about like, uh, it's the freaking CEO or the chairman's job to navigate the yeah. economic uncertainty is not your so, job. Your job is yeah. just to hold. So it's like, if you worry, if you had bought a fundamentally good company, which products you know that people want, right? Who gives a shit about the inflation rate and about the, the interest rate increment? Because end of the day, what will the company do to navigate our increased price law? <laughs> right? But, you see, good company would make money regardless the, of the economic uh, condition. They will make yeah. money. You they will have, make money. You just have to trust them to do it. Yeah, and end of the day, that is what investing is. Why, if you really want to get your hands dirty and do it, then you can just set up your own company, like you don't invest, lah. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> the whole point of the whole point of investment is so that you yourself don't have to be the CEO and like execute the business, right? Like, that's really exactly. the whole point. And what I find very incredible, incredulous, right, is when people get sucked into all this fuck, lah. Then they try to think like a CEO, which to me. Honestly, number one, you don't own enough percentage of a company to make any like executive decisions anyway. And honestly, if you have done your homework and you know that the that the people are good, right? Good people, good management team, right? Then you really shouldn't care so much about what uh fuck will happen. Because end of the day, like when the Ukraine crisis, the main questions I had to ask was not about business execution because I knew that the business will execute, right? I knew that the idea will execute. The question I had to ask was whether or not this fundamentally changed the demand uh, of the product going forward. Like whether or not this crisis right, would dampen um, demand in the future. And for me, when I look at Tesla, I, I immediately knew the answer was no. When I look at Palantir, I was like, oh, this crisis happened, the demand went up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? The demand for the product obviously went up. You know, this is like a no-brainer. And then when I look at Bitcoin and um, Ethereum, obviously the demand went up even higher because people realized like, they can be locked out of their bank accounts overnight um, due to some... Uh, issues that right so rug pulled by their own national currency yeah and and i think end of the day when you are dealing with fat right i think it's very important uh, that you that you guys right don't allocate your time and emotions uh, needlessly and stay invested emotionally right when fat is not really a huge thing you know i think it's very important that you don't gi- subscribe and give a lot of emotional attention right especially emotionally uh, to things that don't matter because end of the day when you look at mass media right their job is for i is basically like uh youtube just in a more formal way right it's just to attract attention you know they mm-hmm. hope to get more eyeballs and then their job is to make as much noise as possible so that you notice them and the fact is the world doesn't change a lot uh, in a on a day to day basis, no, it right? It doesn't. It doesn't. Even like the Ukraine Russia crisis, it's not going to like like turn around in one day. It's going to take some time before you know things are sorted out. And you just need to know that this has happened and what has changed. And then you just need to accept the fact it's going to take time for it to solve. And you also cannot predict when it's going to be solved. That's a fact. Uh, yes. Nobody will see it happening. Yeah, nobody can foresee. Ah, I know for a certain fact this particular date the thing is going to like be okay. I say the fact is nobody knows lah. Right and. Like, dealing with fart, right? Actually, uh, me and Ryan came to the consensus that uh, dealing with fart is quite simple. Uh, just ignore. Yeah. <laughs> That's really the answer. You can, it's like, no matter how deep, like, if you dig deep enough, right, you're going to find problems. Right? It's, oh. it's the same irony, right? It's like, you stay in a barber shop long enough, you're going to get a haircut even though you're bald. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So, 
Um, that's really how you deal with it, right? And I guess like, okay, so the next, let's talk about execution, right? What can you do during a downturn? Uh, this, this, um, going back to like the fart part, if you want any more information, we did a, actually, uh, we did like a, uh, an episode with, um, the guys from Ringgit $2, uh, yeah. on fart. That, that's episode two of our podcast. Go check that out. Thank you very much. Yep. But, um, coming back, what else can you do during downturns? Um, like we mentioned just now, downturns are always a really good times to assess how the CEO is navigating the crisis. And also if you're in crypto, if the project stays on the roadmaps or not. Yep. And if, if they don't, they don't take it well, you know, they, they respond very poorly, then it's probably time to sell and uh, concentrate on other better ideas. Yep. So, and um, yep. it, it's, it's just conviction in the end but uh uh yeah if you have the conviction for it you know uh go for it but it's always a really good time to be critical and uh to be critical about the 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 responses and um yeah okay i think what ryan mentioned about building conviction during downturn is a very good point all right um end of the day during huge drawdowns like COVID, during drawdowns like ukraine right as we mentioned take a step back and assess the situation very factually right um and that's why during the COVID crisis right i took a step back right and then i start to assess um potential acquisitions and the capital allocation right um i'd really like to see whether or not the ceo especially the executive decision, whether or not they make right decisions uh, for the company in the long term. And I think one of the best examples I can give, right, during this COVID crisis is none other than Airbnb. Oh, yeah. I uh, I remember seeing your one of your stories. Um, Brian Shesky, he actually refunded um, the money to all the customers, right? Yes. And you know how I know this before he announced it? Because I rented an Airbnb during COVID. Wow. And he and basically, uh, the refund process uh, was less than uh, I think twenty four hours. I cancelled my Airbnb. I came back to Singapore. I was given a hundred percent refund, right? Wow. And then that moment there, I told me uh, that okay, this CEO is a damn good CEO because he understood the importance, right, of building a long term business. He didn't screw his customer. And how did they solve the problem, right? They went IPO. They raised capital through the, the equity markets, right? And they did very well. And rightfully, they did very well because honestly, a CEO who has the balls uh, to give everyone refunds and watch their revenue drop by 80% in one year, right? And playing the long game, uh, that is a very good CEO and a very smart man because um, it's a little bit idealistic, I know. But end of the day, if you can make that type of emotional connection with your customer, there's no fucking way I'm going back to agoda.com. Yeah. I mean, that's like the prime prime example of dealing with a drawdown. You know? This guy had like an 80% drawdown on his freaking company and not the stock, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that by itself, right, should really like, um, it's, it's a, as, as I mentioned, right, uh, what can you do during, during downturns, right, is to basically identify what the CEO is doing during the downturn and then assess whether or not is it good for the business five years from now. I can guarantee you when they did the refund, a lot of uh, the rent, the, the people who rent the flats were not happy, but he set up a fund to help them uh, dampen the COVID downturn, right? And basically he did the right thing, which is don't screw your customers. You know, in five years, the customers will come back because what is the number one uh, test, uh, tenant for a salesperson? You don't sell them just one time. You, sell, you want to keep doing the repeat sale because a customer acquisition cost is a lot more expensive than retaining a customer. Mm. Right, and he did the right thing for the long term, and that's why you know Airbnb. I believe 
uh, in the next in the vision of the next ten years, or, or this is one of the company I want to buy. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, my my bags are already full. Uh, but honestly, if I didn't have any ideas, right, I would have probably bought Airbnb because I really like um the CEO and how he actually navigated through COVID. And you know, the results are out. His business has been you know uh, going back to growth trajectory lah, as expected. So. Another thing um, that ties to this, uh, what else can you do during downturn, right? It's also a question about debt, all right? And I think, Ryan, what do you, do you have anything to say about uh, the next question? As a uh, debt during an all-in, like uh, during downturn, you know, apart from what else can you do, apart from conviction, right? What do you think about debt? I would say, like, uh, that's a really fair point that you brought up. Um, down, during, uh, when you're going all-in or, like, during downturns, um, aside from, like, building conviction, um one thing to uh really do is to make sure that you can continue to hold when that uh goes back to managing personal finances so if um you know you've got nothing uh, going on in your life and then if you want to buy the dip then yeah go ahead you know but uh if you have like something that's going on in the uh near term say like one to three months time you know you don't take the cash that you have in your bank and dump it into uh, a bet that's going to play out in the next five years yep i agree but um if we're talking about like like uh within the investments uh sphere um i would say rule number one is to never really um leverage especially if you're in crypto you know you're gonna get wiped out 100 percent yep um everyone was wiped out that uh analyst uh really will he was really confident that he won't get wiped out and uh on um forty two k, but he did. <coughs> yeah, he got completely wiped out and stopped out. And um yeah, so that's why you just don't leverage if you want to hold. But um if you really want to leverage, do it the right way. Uh, and that is to take like a loan from the bank, and you have to be your credit score has to be really damn good to do that. Yep. Aside from that, I would say um leverage is not a really good idea unless you can get like a loan from the bank and you can uh, pay it off. You manage to pay it off on time. You have like the, the, the income to, to support that because you have to understand you are or rather like mindful that you are sacrificing future cash flow for capital today. And that's why you have to be like sure that in the next X amount of time, that uh, whatever your loan period it is, you, you are able to secure income to pay off the fund. Yep, it is boys down. I like what Ryan says. Where I like what you say when you go back down to like um, good personal financial management, you know. And this is one of the things, right, that a person can do during a downturn. Because during a downturn, right, when the the situation is very bad, right, if you have a lot of debt, uh, then it's time, right, for most people to actually take a step aside and then ask whether or not they can. Uh, restructure the debt sometimes the debt can be eating into your cash flow and if your cash flow cannot support that then sometimes it's good to take a step back right and then like reassess whether or not you can restructure that because sometimes banks do give some leeway um to restructure that debt for a person who does not have debt during a downturn and he's out of cash right and then he can foresee that it's a very good buying opportunity you still have to take a step back and acknowledge uh, that it is still a gamble yes <coughs> you are still because timing the market yeah, because end of the day, you are still timing the market. So a lot of people, I had a lot, of, I had many people who came up to me and during the COVID crash and asked whether or not it is wise for them to borrow money to invest into um 
uh, ideas. La. And uh, number one, you are playing two things. La. The first thing is that you're borrowing money, um, even if it's from a bank, right? The moment you borrow money, you're someone's bitch, all right? Like, like <laughs> this is like, this is like really like the fact of the matter. You're someone's bitch until like you fully pay them back the money, all right? So um, that's number one. And number two, right? Um, the investment idea has to be fundamentally good because I had many people who come up to me right during the COVID crash right and then they try to give me this like investment ideas where I look at it I'm like hey look the maximum return this thing is going to give you is probably like what 15% then your borrowing cost is 6% I see your margin of error is 8% it's a shit idea but obviously um, you know they don't want to see that la. they want to see the opportunity that 8% is a lot and I think it all boils down to if you are going to borrow money right and you're going to invest into something uh, your margin of error needs to be big enough uh, to warrant that risk that's really the fact of the matter because if your borrowing cost if let's say you're a credited investor in Singapore your borrowing cost is let's say 2-3% to 3%, and then you don't take on that which is like what Ryan mentioned mark to market meaning you can get margin caught right you take in, you take a loan right which is like uh, basically it's like taking a loan from a house la. it's just that instead of a house they give you that credit line you can pay over like uh, five or ten years right then the effective interest rate maybe is about five to six percent if your effective borrowing cost is five to six percent right in order for you to make sure that the investment return is good la, i would say a healthy margin is at least 10 times of whatever um you can you can uh, you're paying for the interest rate so if you're paying five to six percent now for me to take the loan and to invest into something else right at a point of time uh, it needs to be able to generate at least 50 to 60 percent in the next five to ten years uh, before i even think about taking on that because it gives me a healthy margin of error assuming let's say they don't hit 50 percent even if they grow by 30 percent i still in profit yeah that same goes to um debt if you take on like uh, a uh, debt for property don't forget that uh, you can get wiped out. That is what exactly happened in uh, the 08 crisis. Yeah, correct. Because it's a margin, it's a collateral collateral loan, right? Because, uh, and coming back to this, there were many people I knew during um, 08, 09 uh, who had their, they, they used to own like five, six properties, right? Uh, Singapore, Malaysia. And during the COVID, and during the 08, 09 crash, right? The banks called them up and say, hey, I need you to top up your collateral. And these people own five to six properties. They just, they just saw their property valuations drop by 50%. There's no way on earth they are able to hold on to a property. So they had to force sell and then foreclose. And then some of them end up declaring bankruptcy. Right? So, oh, man. so end of the day, right? When you take on debt, right? Uh, I always go back to a key tenant. You're someone else's bitch uh, until you pay it back. That's number one. And number two, if you are going to take on debt, make sure you know how to manage it very effectively. Don't, like, seriously, right? The number of people who get screwed uh, by taking debt is um is the the most of the time most most of the time right people who get screwed in financial markets are uh, usually all stem from taking a lot of debt and that is what i've noticed um in my you know in my personal finance career uh, that's that's usually the case that uh, the key tenant is always it goes back down to bad debt management but you know if you're able to manage that right then that is one of the things that you can do during a downturn you know and that is to go looking for money because if let's say you're already all in and you want to take advantage because as i mentioned out you are very clear on the metrics right then basically there are ways right where you can raise money right it's, mm. it's not that difficult to raise lah, but you must you this is like a level of sophistication lah, that you must have you must be very aware of your risk and then you can take on that uh, just make sure that debt that you take on is manageable Right, which is what I personally did um, in the last two years and also what I did earlier on in my career. I did take on that to invest my money, but that's also because I'm very careful with it. Right, And uh, my credit rating has been good. All right, so, like, um, so for people who have questions on debt management, right, 
like uh, maybe we might do an episode on it. If you're interested, just let us know, right? But uh, I think we need to move on because if uh, we still have a Q and A section. So okay, so to summarize, right? To to summarize, right? What to consistently look out for, okay? And what to reassess during all in, right? Is that I uh, I'll just summarize for both me and Ryan. Is that most of the time, right? When you go all in, right? A lot of the news, right? That really needs your attention. It's not something which is very um noticeable. It tends to be something like Ukraine, Russia crisis, and COVID. Actually, that's really the two situations, right? In the last two years, right? That actually warrants any merit for a person, a long term investor, to really take a step back and then assess the situation. That is really the two news main news outlets, right? That a person needs to really look at COVID and the U- Ukraine-Russia crisis. This is really like the only two major stories. Apart from that, in between the inflation, the interest rates, right? If you invest in a fundamentally good stock, fundamentally good company, fundamentally good idea that's going to grow by 50, 60, 70%, the business is good enough and smart enough to navigate through all these issues because that is what entrepreneurs, good entrepreneurs do, right? End of the day, that is really like the moral of the story. If you have very strong conviction, all right, all in from my perspective is always a lot better than holding cash, right? So what about you, Ryan? I would say, like, um, aside from, like, reiterating your points, which is um, really um, good, I would say, like, after you go all in, there's really nothing else to do aside from, like, looking for um, new uh, income streams or raising your income. So yeah. after you go all in, like, personally, after I, I went all in, I began to focus on my career much more. Like yeah. three times harder as uh, usual, you know, because I freed up so much brain space yeah. um to to focus on my on my work. So I've been like uh working at least twelve hour day twelve hour days for the last um couple of months. And um yeah, you know, it's it's been great, you know. My performance has been pretty good. And um it all comes from like uh time management in a sense, because when you go all in, you don't pay as much attention to the markets anymore you got more time, more brain space to and, and more focus to channel towards uh, your career or your business. If you're building like a like a separate revenues, uh, like a separate business for like a side business per se. But yeah, it, it's all about personal growth for me personally. Yeah, I think that's a very good point that you mentioned uh, is that when you go all in and you basically just wait five to 10 years, what you're going to realize is that you know, that's all, and you're waiting, right? Then you have a lot of this free time, right? Sometimes the best thing to do is just to go back and invest in yourself. I completely yes. agree with that because even for myself, I think uh, ever since I went back all in um, post-COVID, right? Really, I've been really like focusing a lot on my own personal life as well, on my own personal growth and it's been great, right? Both me and Ryan actually lost a lot of weight, I think in that last like three or four months, lah. <laughs> right and uh i think ryan was like sharing me oh you lost 10 kg i said wow great man so like yeah like seriously you know life there's more to life than just investing like, and you need just to just accept the fact right that investing just takes time to perform usually it takes at least three years minimum exactly. that's the bare minimum sometimes it takes five sometimes it takes 10 years but if you fundamentally buy good businesses right uh then eventually you know it's going to pay off you know i always like to give people the the notion uh, and the imagination be the person who bought test uh be the person right who bought Apple, Amazon 20 years ago. I always give them that the, the final thing. Uh, don't be the person who bought Amazon and uh, what Apple last week and wants to sell today. Mm-hmm. Right? Because end of the day, uh, time does pay very well for good businesses. And uh, you know, there's always opportunity coming. So 
yeah, always like make sure don't forget to neglect yourself. Like, end of the day, that's the whole point of investing. You are making sure that people earn money for you and you don't have to work because then what's the point of investing if you keep like, you know, 100% um, give attention, right? Then you don't focus on the other areas of your life. Yeah, it's basically putting your money to work. You don't, yeah, you don't, don't chase after the money. You don't yeah. trade. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I like that a lot. That's a very good takeaway. All right, so I think we'll move on to the Q&A. Um, we have a bunch of Q&A which we found is going to be quite interesting and a large board of questions. So the first question that came up is uh, the world worries that China will become a superpower. China is worried that they don't. Um, and I guess the main question is how do you obtain alpha investments in China? Mm, well, we don't, uh, me and Aaron, we don't invest in China. Uh, I, well, I used to, but um, I stopped because yeah. um, this is a question going back to um understanding geopolitics and the world order so yeah. if you get the world order straight it's always freaking america on the top yeah. and that is exactly <laughs> where i want my money to be period yeah yeah um okay number one my advice is don't buy a mutual fund that buy high sell low uh number two <coughs> <laughs> uh number two um Obtain alpha in China. Okay, alpha investment in China. Okay, I can share with you people who have made money in China. Okay, what they did. Um, generally, if you want to make money in China, right, um, the key is not making money. All right, the key is getting your money out. So hmm. when people talk about alpha investments in China, these people who make money in China tend to be very good at um, withdrawing money out of China. Because what I've learned um, in my career, right, is... The key to making money there is don't be a long-term hodler. Oh, yeah. It's definitely okay. short-term trades will reign over um, long-term hodling, hodling in um, Chinese investments. Yeah, and what I've learned is you you cannot use um, metrics and values uh, that come from a capitalistic country, right? Like America. PE ratio, PS ratio. You cannot use this type of metrics uh, to assess a country which is fundamentally run very differently. And I think this is one of a very huge mistake, right? That many people on social media, many people on, uh, you know, on YouTube, many people on Instagram, uh, they buy China thinking that the system over there is exactly the same as the capitalistic uh, country in America. So they use PE ratio, they use PS ratio to value the business as undervalued, all right? And I think this is one huge mistake that people are making because fundamentally, the two countries are very different, right? They are not of the same ethnicity. They have different national holidays, right? Uh, both of them are humans, but the way the values and the culture are completely different, which is why, like, sometimes whenever I see um, Americans, they are so hard on into China, right? I really feel that they don't really understand the Chinese culture enough to make a fair assessment of what it's actually like uh, to do business there. Because when you do business with Chinese and you do business with Americans, uh, these are co two completely different groups of people and the way of the way that they do business is completely different. So it really brings back to buy what you know. Because the fact of the matter is, if you want to have alpha investment in China, right, then you need to be able to understand how these people operate, right? And the, and honestly speaking, right, how many things in your life, the high value touch points in your life, uh, the items come from China, you tell me. The fact of the matter is, right, if you are living in Southeast Asia, I would say that the most high value products that you're using are all come from America, not from China. The hardware, you know, the peripherals, the hardware, they might be made in China. 
right? But how much of your interaction, uh, the data that's valuable uh, actually goes to China? I would say that the large majority of them comes from America, right? So mm. um, you need to be able to, to, to make alpha. It's really like timing, short-term trade, and also like, you know, understand that the values are different. That's how you assess it. Don't make the mistake of like assessing China like America because they aren't, okay? They, they, they simply are not. Right, and they are two completely different countries, uh, And then you have to like accept the fact, and you know, and yeah, like, And really, like end of the day, um, if you're comfortable with it, then you know that's your game. But personally, we, me and Ryan, have both publicly said we don't own China, and I don't think we'll ever buy China because, um, that's just not our circle of competence, uh, Let's put it this yeah. way. Yeah, right? I mean so, the the values of uh, the East and the West is very different. On the West, we've got very capitalistic um values everyone's um out for themselves but in yep. china common prosperity is the thing so yep. if like us we don't understand common prosperity at all um then uh you better not touch uh chinese investments yeah and even though ryan and i ethnically we're chinese right we also don't consider ourselves china chinese like at all right we culturally we are not china chinese we are, we are, uh, no, Malaysian, we're Singaporean, buyer, buyer. Right? No, no. right so like even then you know like you know the west people they they see the same as though we're chinese they group us the same i say it's not you know it's like comparing a mexican and american and a and a person from canada is like completely different they look yeah. the same but they're completely different right so the don't think that yeah so don't think like just because ethnically everyone is Chinese uh, means that you know it's the same value it's completely different right so um, I guess the next question uh, moving on right is uh, how do you decide the portfolio allocation percentage in terms of geography and industry and asset class uh, for me personally it's always growth rates growth potentials I don't yep. really mind if it's um, just one or two asset classes or, yep. uh, or a single industry. Um, because if you look at my portfolio, I only, the core holdings, there's only two, four things, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Tesla, and Palantir. And yep. if you boil down to industries, there's only two things, AI and blockchain. Asset classes, yep. only two things, stocks and crypto. So yep. um, it's a matter of like um, conviction, concentration, and um, more, most importantly, growth rates. Yeah. Um... In order for me to answer this question, right, why why I choose a narrow um, niche uh, instead of going broad is because I don't want to fall into a trap of diversification, right? End of the day, I think um, you need to invest in what you know. So if you know it very well, then I think it's fine to you have to have a high percentage. But at the same time, right, if you were to go back and look at the best investors of our time, right, you take Warren Buffett, for example. If you remove 10 of his best investments uh, in his career, right, he would have underperformed the S&P 500. All right, and... When you decide to allocate a percentage of your asset class, right, in your 20s and 30s, uh, I think end of the day, what you should be looking for is time horizon that is a lot longer than people who are in their 50s and 60s. Because when you are in your 20s and 30s, uh, the luxury that you have uh, is that you are a time millionaire. You have a lot of time, right? 20s, 30s, man, you guys have like so much time uh, on your hands, right? Like when I first started, uh, there's no such thing as the Tesla, right? But there was Amazon. You know, there was uh, there was Amazon, there was Apple, you know, and these are the growth industries, right? And halfway along the way came out Tesla, which I stupidly didn't buy, 
right? And halfway came out, there was NVIDIA, which I also didn't buy. And those went on to become 100 baggers. They went to 100x their valuation uh, when I first took notice of them and I didn't buy them. So a lot of people who are very worried about like missing the boat, right? And then they are, want to FOMO in. I can tell you opportunities will come. Uh, that, that is pretty much like the rule of the game, right? Like nobody would have foreseen that Tesla would grow into a million dollars a car. You know, people were in disbelief, but he, in the end he did. He did execute. So I can say that going forward, right? Brilliant entrepreneurs, right? Will continuously come. And that's why when you look at Bill Gates, he always says the biggest worry that he has is always a person in his garage uh, working on the next big company. That his, that's always his biggest fear because that's where he started right he was actually trying to fight ibm back then so uh how i allocate is very simple conviction you know uh, growth rates and end of the day i think um is really highly concentrated into as little positions as i can because end of the day um when drawdown happens right the that is when is the barometer like, when you feel nothing then you know that allocation is uh right for you right like if i were to invest a significant portion of my money inside china right and it draws down by 70 percent, i can tell you i'll feel like shit yeah i'll probably piss my pants <laughs> yeah i'll really feel like shit because i don't have any conviction in china right and it's the same for value stocks because i used to be a value investor i can tell you when my value stocks are draw down by 80 90 percent i can tell i feel like shit if it's draw down by 50 percent i can tell i feel like shit because i know value stocks right the moment they draw down 50 percent it's going to take them five to six years to recover mm. yeah, right but if you true. have a high growth uh stock you know even if it draws down by 20 30 percent i don't give a shit because it's the future is right soon enough yeah and because the future and because you can depend on the growth rates of the company to save you right and usually growth rates are they tend and usually such companies are they learn how to um basically grow and change and evolve as they get bigger like what warren buffett did to berkshire hathaway you know he became he started reinsurer right now he's one of the mega renewable energy powerhouse right he, he planned for the future and great entrepreneurs they know how to pivot and grow the business as they age mm. Right, and that's something which you can depend on if you buy very good uh, businesses, la, right? Instead of uh, focusing on um, you know a lot of stocks, then end of the day you have a scalability issue, right? So uh, I like this question: advice for a total newbie investing in their thirties. Like, what advice can you give, Ryan? Uh, comp for example, I'm a complete newbie in my thirties. I want to start investing. So, what advice would you give me? Well, I'm definitely not in my thirties, so I'm really curious about this as well, Aaron. Maybe you <laughs> want to take this one. <laughs> yeah, in my thirties, unfortunately. Um, uh, okay, I think the difference between people who are in their twenties and people who are in their thirties, right, is that people in their thirties, right, we really know pretty much like um how to make money. So I don't think income is usually an issue for us. I think the main issue is how do we best allocate our money because um, I think most people in their 30s, right, they're trying to search uh, what is the best asset class that they like, which is very difficult for most people to answer. You know, for me, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I knew from the get-go that stocks is what I want to do. I'm not interested in property. It doesn't mean that I disregard property as an investment class. It's just that I just know that my natural affinity is with uh, equity and investing, right? And that's where I thrive. And if you ask me to do investing in property, I can tell I'm going to give you a shit return because I have no interest in it. So end of the day, I think for a total newbie, right? I think what's important is that don't be attracted just by the return. I think it's important that you uh, go to a place, right, where you are very interested in because that's when you are going to learn the most right i picked up my first investment book when i was 18 you know so i've really been doing this for so many years and i have totally not lost any interest in it you know i've been doing it for so long and every day you know i'm still very interested in investing i will still read like uh books history books on like markets and financial markets because i love it right i, I enjoy it but you ask me to do it for property i can tell you i'll, I'll fall asleep like, I, I do i just 
don't have that ability to like go so deep and that's why I don't touch it because I know I'm not going to do very well in it. So end of the day, right, in your 30s, right, I think if you're talking about like starting out as a newbie, right, I think it's very uh, important that maybe you try starting out in index funds first. You can try the BOO or the Triple Q, which is basically the NASDAQ or the S&P 500. I think that's a very good place to start just to get um, exposed in it and learn how it works. And then as you start to get more and more advanced, right, then maybe you would want to go and pick up a few. In fact, don't even pick up investment books. Uh. There's many content online which you can listen to. Our podcast is one of them. You know, Ringgit to Dollar is also pretty good, right? Uh, and try to uh, listen. I also like Chicken Genius because it's pretty good at uh, explaining uh, difficult things in a very simple to understand manner, right? And then uh, just get comfortable with, um, I think, end of the day, you know, in your 30s, right, you have a lot less time than a person who's uh, in their 20s in terms of compounding years. So I would say that you need to be very selective, right, over the content that you consume and grow from there because um, you don't want to be spending 10 years um, in your 30s uh, just learning, learning and never executing. Because end of the day, you know, you don't get results by learning you get results by executing and i think the fastest way is to put money at risk because that's when you learn the fastest yeah i like how you said uh don't rely on investing uh books about investing to learn investing because a lot of times investing is learning about business and investing is uh, uh more relevant today is learning about the tech behind um the your your investment be it ai be it um your blockchain you know um, that's the thing that you want to like read up if you're going into um that space because like say if you're interested in Airbnb that will be um understanding property that will be understanding um the the tourism industry so that is what you need to understand yeah instead of like going in for the for the books not all books about investing is created equal they are not uh they are not uh by means um one size fits all for everyone and um yeah you know i i have like this list about like books to learn um uh, to read about uh to, to read before investing um and it absolutely has zero um relations to any books that teaches you how to invest not uh not books like uh intelligent investor or not even like uh, peter lynch uh yeah. hit and his books it, it's more about books like um like zero to one, you know, how you build a, a million dollar, billion dollar business ideas, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and seriously, honestly speaking, I can tell you that you should not be looking into books, right, as the finality learning journey because end of the day, I've been doing this for more than 10 years. I'm still learning every day as an investor. You know, investing uh, is a very personal experience that each of us go through because it takes a very long time, right, for you to realize what type of investor you are because that might change as you age. You might be a value investor like me when I started in my 20s, but I evolved and changed into a growth investor because that was a personal journey that I took and I understood why I'm now a growth investor. So whenever people ask me like, Aaron, why don't you do Excel sheets? I say, yeah, I've done it. Lah. Like, you can throw me as many PE, whatever ratio I say, you think I can't do it, I can. Right, I've been doing this for 10 fucking years. You think I can't do it, I can. <laughs> Right, I've done it. I did it fucking manually before you guys even had Excel, okay? I did it fucking manually on a piece of paper and notepad. Right. And I calculated it manually. So um, for people like like for people who say who think I can't, I can. I've done it for I've done it way, way longer before um the people started, right? So it's like I can do it, but there's a reason why I'm a growth investor and why I took this approach. It's because I did the legwork 
uh, many years ago and I just transited to a point where I'm very comfortable being a growth investor, all right? And it's something which is very personal, all right? And I think you just need to accept the fact, right, that um, investing is a game, right, which you never stop learning because the fact mm-hmm. is investing is a game uh, where the world keeps changing, right? 10 years ago, it was Amazon. It was uh, Apple. Now, it is Tesla. It is uh, Bitcoin. It is cryptocurrency. I'm very sure 10 years from now, we have something new, right? Because that is pretty much like, if you really like were to understand how investing works, that's how the world works, right? In 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, there was the personal computing. There was Microsoft. Then 1990s, you know, there was the dot-com bubble. And now we have the like, NFT, whatever nonsense. Uh, like 10 years from now, something new will come out. So um, I think the key point is to always keep learning and be open to ideas. Because uh, end of the day, you don't want to be so hard into like old values. Uh, then you end up, you know, just holding on to uh, values that might not even be relevant like going forward. Because end of the day, you make money in the future. You don't make money based on what you see in the past. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the next question is property under mortgage. How do we quantify percentage of the portfolio? So for example, I think the situation is that if you are having a property mortgage, on whether or not you're living or whether or not you're staying, how do you quantify that as part of portfolio? It's very simple. You just take... Uh, this one I can answer. Um, basically, you just take uh, what's the property value, right? Then you minus away the loan outstanding, right? Uh, in fact, I won't even do that. I'll still take the loan outstanding because end of the day, when you take a loan, it is actually property of your future income. So I think, for example, if you have a property that's half a million dollars, right? And then if your network, including your cash, whatever, is let's say, for example, one million, right? Then I will say, I'll quantify the portfolio as 50% of your, of your total portfolio, right? I think a lot of people like to do accounting uh, analysis in your head, uh, where portfolio is one thing, prop- then uh, stocks is one thing. I don't actually like to take that approach because I think that's um, an opportunity cost. When, you, when property takes up 50% of your portfolio and you don't acknowledge it, right? Then that's a problem because... Um, you are making an active decision uh, with your future income, right, to invest in this property. Yes. So you yes. have to acknowledge or uh, admit, right, that you that it is taking up fifty percent of your opportunity cost. Because if you are, if you don't admit and acknowledge that, right, then then the problem is that twenty five years from now, you're going to realize, right, that the opportunity cost of holding so much property, uh, uh, might have costed you uh, more than a million dollars, uh, if you had used the opportunity cost to invest in something else. I mean, for me personally, how I look at it as is that properties, I'm not against properties in general, but I have a problem with like um, thinking, uh, taking property as investments. If you buy and like uh, own to stay, that's completely fine, you know, uh, because property serves the, the need to have a roof over your head. You know, it's a space that you live in, that you unwind. And um, pledging half a million dollars or a million dollars even on uh on property is completely fine if you can afford it. But um, like it goes back to like what Aaron says, you know, it's um it's uh illiquid, you know, um, and and you can get like a mortgage uh like the the uh margin call if uh, a crash happens, and um in general it's still like just wise to to acknowledge you have that percentage of debt. It, it's really just personal finance um accounting i guess yep and acknowledge it lah. I, I, I don't think it's wise for a person who has a lot of uh, money every month uh, to pay a mortgage to not acknowledge that it is an opportunity cost because it is still mm. money that stems from your cash and your future income right and that's yes. how i would do it all right so the next the last three questions is uh the, this question is interesting and why did you go all in oh that, that, that's one from me guys <laughs> yeah so uh, i i'm always like really um interested in in studying like the mindsets and um the 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 mental states of people who've who's got balls to like go 
all in on a single thing. People like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you know, and um, and in our investing realm, you know, uh, people like Aaron is like a whole transition from like value to growth and goes all in at it is extremely rare. You know, uh, I don't see people who 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 preaches um growth and uh going all in as much as Aaron. So you know, I'm always very curious. Yeah, so, I would say chicken uh, actually, genius why, is why one of them. Why did you go? Ah, uh, yes, exactly. Chicken genius is also one of them, and that's why I I watch his um. He, uh, his uh, videos a lot as well. Yeah, okay. So why did I go all in? Very simple. Uh, the answer is uh, throughout my experience in the last 10 years, right, I have come to the conclusion uh, that I cannot time the market. And even if I seem to be able to time the market, the fact of the matter is that I got lucky. I think mm. that is really like the fact of the matter. Every single time people always say my timing is good, the fact is I got lucky, right? Because... um. I think it boils back down to the fact, right, that in the earlier years of my investment career, right, I did a lot of this like value investing where I was getting returns of like 50-70% every year, right? My compounded rates uh, when I was like in my early 20s, uh, sometimes was 100% a year, sometimes was 50% a year. But then uh, later on, I realized that I would have done a lot better if I had just all in Amazon. And that is the fact of the matter because when I first bought Amazon to today, uh, Amazon had 30x uh uh, back then, I was doing so much work, um, you know, into looking for these like so-called undervalued securities. Uh, then I realized that I realized what Warren Buffett did and what Peter Lynch uh, realized early, um, you know, mid uh, in their careers, and what Charlie Munger has been preaching all the same time. If you buy a very good business, right, the upside is pretty much unlimited because the growth potential is unlimited. And that's why I went decided to go all in. Um, it's not like I've not been all in before. La. I've, this is the first time that I've been all in and take very concentrated bet because um, number one, I was waiting for opportunity because like uh, before that, right, I always felt that because as a value investor that uh, I was always looking for something which I can sink my teeth into, you know, like I really needed to like uh, find something that I can sink my teeth into. And then uh, the opportunity of the crash, right, gave me the opportunity to actually like um, allocate 100% inside, right? And then uh, that happened during COVID, la, or, which is something which is lucky because I couldn't uh, predict that, right? And I went all in because my experience has taught me, right? Through very painful experiences uh, of missing things like Nvidia and Tesla um, and even Amazon for that matter, that the best way to go forward in investing, right, is to basically look for very high growth businesses which are fundamentally good, all right? And then concentrate your investments. Because mm. that's the fact of the matter. Because I would have done a lot better, right? And just ignore all that nonsensical like value investing right? and just buy one stock. Yeah, yeah that's and, very true. Yeah, and, and really like that's why that, that's my basically like magnum opus. Like, that, that I came to this like one, I went one huge round, right? Over the last 10 years and came to the final conclusion. It's better to just buy high growth businesses, not give a shit about it and re-evaluate uh, every time there's a political or geopolitical issue. Because end of the day, um, if the business is a very high growth one, people say, oh, Tesla is down uh, how many, 30%. I see. honestly, do you give a fuck if Tesla has 100x over the last 10 years? Exactly. Like, you tell me you're waiting for a crash. I say, let me tell you, uh, I say, any uh, people have been waiting for a crash for like fucking Tesla since 2013, right? <laughs> you think people who bought in 2013 or 2012 Tesla give a shit about this like 30% downturn? They're still up more than 100 times, you know? Yeah. Right, so it's like whenever people tell me like, oh, you know, all in is risky because it can crash. Yeah, but if I really 100x my money, even if it crash, who gives a shit? I'm really like, <laughs> I really added two zeros to my balance sheet really. Right? Mm -hmm. So like, I think a lot of people just 
I, I think it's important to just admit that you cannot time the market and just fundamentally go back to the idea. Uh, my first question now, can this 10x and can it potentially 100x? Because that's, where I beca- uh, that's when I'm very interested in. And that's how you do investing, right? Uh, you take time and just accept the fact that it takes time for investments to grow. And also, you need to accept the fact that, you know, markets go down uh, 20%, 30% happens. Mm, definitely. So how about you, Ryan? Why do you go all in? Oh, um... For me, it's not because I had like the conviction to go all in. Um, I just happened to build conviction along the way. Um, the more I read into the FSD of Tesla, the more I learned about how Palantir is um um revolution uh is like changing the data game. You know, the more I understood crypto. You know, uh, I I just built the conviction and I got to the point where I'm like, I don't want to waste any more time. Um. And I just decided to all in and then uh, go live my life. Yeah. And if you actually look at the drawdown, right? Like, honestly, even if it's 50%, if the thing is going to like 10x, 20x, or even like potentially 100x, right? It's not going to make much of a huge difference when you're really quite wealthy. Lah. <laughs> I mean, I uh, just going back to this point, right? Even I didn't like hodl for five years for, yeah. for like the crypto and uh, like whatnot. I'm still like uh, just two years in of yeah. my like uh, holding. I'm still sitting in uh, on on profits after all this uh drawdowns except for Palantir but like for the ones that I started investing in like 2020 say like the Tesla Bitcoin yeah. and Ethereum you know I'm still sitting on very comfortable uh profit margins no uh, not not to say margins but I'm uh it, it's like I'm still there's like a nice margin of like uh the the profit that I'm sitting on so uh the longer you manage to hold the longer this this cushion of like profit grows you know, and, and uh, the less anxious you will get. Yeah, and I think that's when a lot of people, like, um, they fail to see la, that it takes time for your investments to work. This is not a get-quick-rich scheme if not everybody don't need to work, right? It's not like you buy this stock yeah, and exactly. tomorrow it goes up, you know. So it's a long game, you know. Just understand that it takes time for businesses to grow, you know. Nobody starts a business today and expects to be as big as Amazon tomorrow unless you're Theranos. Okay, la, no, la. Uh, not true. Toronto Street also had to hustle quite a bit. Uh, but that's a story for another day. Okay, so the mm-hmm. next question is, uh, were there any changes in your psychological or mental stage after going all in? Or how has your view of your investment changed? Um, this one is also asked by Ryan. Were there any changes in your psychological or mental state after going all in? Um, honestly, I felt better. Funnily enough, I, I don't think many people can come to the same conclusion as me because I paid the price in the last 10 years. All right, I can tell you that my mental and psychological state of being all in is a lot better than holding cash. Mm-hmm. Because the point, the problem is, right, if you are, if you understand investments, uh, you also understand the problem of opportunity cost. And if you hold a lot of cash and you see a lot of these investments grow, right, and then you are making a mistake of not acting on it, and then you're looking at uh, money going up, when if you had pulled the trigger, you will start to realize that mentally uh, it's a lot more comfortable, right, looking at a 20% drawdown and investing for the 5 to 10 years, uh, than to basically just because of that 20% possible downtick, right, you don't invest your money. Personally, psychologically and mentally, uh, I have felt a lot better going all in than holding in cash. That is the fact of the matter because I can tell you holding cash uh, before the COVID was not a fun experience for me. Like I tell mm-hmm. you, I hold 95% cash. I can tell you that feeling uh, is quite shit because it's like, you know, you're always praying that the world dies. <laughs> yes. And that is fucking like a pessimistic, you know. It's like, this is why uh, whenever you see people like uh, Jim Rogers, people like Michael Burry, uh, they're fucking like 
like doomsday predictors because every single and this is what you become you know if you are a person who keep holding cash and waiting for a dip uh, then you become a very pessimistic person in general you know you're always hoping that the world fucking dies the world fucking crashes the world fucking like goes to shit right and then you will never make money because end of the day guess what the world always gets better That's the true. standard of living increases the last 10 your parents time and your time uh, the standard of living the life expectancy has increased so if you are going to bet that the world is going to shit, right, then I honestly feel that you should, um, you know, it's just a wrong bet to take lah because I can guarantee you that in the next 50 years, right, our standard of living will only increase. That's a fact, mm. you know, we always trend towards a better standard of living, higher life expectancy, you know, medicine is going to get better, you know, and then things are going to get better and cheaper. So I don't want to take a bet uh, of holding all cash because end of the day, I'm going to end up being a person who's like fucking pessimistic, right? And then hoping that the world dies and goes to shit because just for me uh, to make money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, look at Michael Burry. He made so much money over the 08 crisis, but in the expense of people going uh, bankrupt, I mean, how does he feel? I'm not sure, but... I don't think I would feel good in that position. And if you actually look to look at Michael Burry's uh, fund performance in the last 10 years, he has underperformed severely the S&P 500. That's a fact. Yeah, that's good. that guy can only shot. Uh. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah, so it's like, I think end of the day, like um, psychologically and mentally, I just felt better uh, because uh, I, I studied long enough to know that this feels a lot better. Being on the side of hoping that society gets better, right, along the way, uh, and knowing and being optimistic about the future, right, translate to better growth personally uh, in my life because I also start to perform better in my career. I start to perform better in my relationships. I start to become a better person in general because I'm a lot more optimistic, right? And I start to see the world as a war of abundance rather than scarce. Because if you are always hoping for a crash, right, honestly, you have a scarcity mindset, and that's a fact. Yeah, and scarcity mindsets are quite... um negative and uh, it's quite destructive in general not just to yeah, you yeah. yourself but also for people around you yeah so i think this is a very good question like, how, how about you ryan like uh were there any changes in your psychological and mental state yeah uh at first initially uh definitely i because i didn't go through the whole um value investing cycle before i got into got into growth because uh it was like a rather short period that i um uh, invested with like value investing methods and I just don't I didn't think it worked out uh, for me it didn't make sense for me so I just um, went with uh, growth investing uh, from the get-go and then um, after going all in it felt like a step into uncertainty and um, because it was pretty much early on in my in my investing journey as well it's just two years in so for me like uh, it was a conviction check personally and then yeah and uh Initially, it was quite bad, and then uh, you know, with all the fun and everything, and uh, that's that's kind of like when I got really annoying, and I was like, oh shit, 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 shit. Every day, uh, something, something's happening on the on the market, you know, and I'm freaking out, pissing my pants all day, every day. But um, eventually, after the 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 content cleanse, you know, and um, just getting my convictions in check with my uh uh holdings, you no, know, I uh honestly feel better. And the point about uh transitioning from a scarcity to abundance mindset was really important i like i like i really like that point because i personally had that uh mindset shift as, as well because when you have like uh when you when uh like when i went all in on like these um high growth investments i just see that there's like really no shot of opportunities to earn money if you place your bets right yep so um yeah it's uh like for me personally as a newbie i transitioned from like um fear of uncertainty 
to like building confidence and now I'm perfectly fine. Yeah, and that's and that translates to like um better overall life lah, I would say. And I yeah. totally agree. Yep. So okay, uh to end up, uh we have one last question and is where did you find courage to go all in? Uh maybe Ryan you would like to answer that? Oh well, uh it's uh it's a question for, for you by me, but uh personally <laughs> Um, how did I find courage to go go all in? Like as I mentioned, like just now, if for me it was a step into the uncertainty. But I know I'm young and I can afford to lose in certain ways, because when I started going all in, my um portfolio was in the ballpark of uh, a, a like just scratching six figures. Yep. So um, I mean the the money that I made in in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one uh twenty twenty especially did not feel real at all. I went from four figures to six figures actually. Mm-hmm. Your better so, performance than uh <laughs> than uh, the fund mutual fund manager. But uh, but but uh because and 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 uh, I I when I like uh look back it was all uh just really good uh capital allocation. Uh, and and just like realizing my mistakes and acting fast on it, you know, and and uh, I decided to like just ride with with uh, this momentum that I had from like twenty 2020 twenty and twenty uh, into twenty twenty one, and uh, I um just took the shot into the darkness, you know, and I yeah, and I uh it and you know the the rest was like uh history, like me feeling kind of like shit when fud was like happening, and then like content clans and like now yeah. Um, where do I find the courage to go all in? Uh? Um, I think end of the day is a culmination of experience. It's a combination of staying calm and knowing that eventually things will get better. So I wouldn't say that I'm courageous. I'm just making a very calculated bet because I think courageous just means that uh, I'm hoping for something. I, I'm In fact, I don't really hope for something. It's more of a point of view, right? When I just know that uh, things will get better. Because I have the luxury of experience and that experience has taught me uh, that no matter how bad, you know, the news like to, you know, proclaim it, right? That eventually, right, things always get better, right? Mm, and yeah. I think a lot of people, um, and I think the media has managed to condition many people to believe that the world has a lot of problems um, without pointing out the fact that there are many good things that happens in the world as well. There's a lot of positive in the world as well. And that allowed me to like believe that eventually we get better. Lah, right. So this is why if you look at all the biggest companies in the world, right, they tend to have a lot of positive fuel energy inside them. They always point a better world. You know, they always point towards a world that's a lot more positive and usually it's not a world that's filled with shit, right? If you look at Tesla, you look at Apple, right? You look at uh, Airbnb, they always point towards a world filled with opportunities and abundance, right? They don't, they don't like give you the the, the story uh, that, you know, the, the, the world is going to shit, etc. And that is what, um, you know, the world is like. Uh, money always flows towards people, right? Who see a vision works towards it, execute towards it, and makes the world better. And these are ideas which, you know, as a capitalist um, country, right, allows people to participate in that wealth growth. Because the fact of the matter, if you really go out and read, like, and seriously look, right, honestly, it's very difficult to find a person uh, who's always very positive. It is, uh, positivity is a scarce commodity. La. So if you, are, if you manage to find it, right, then basically that is something which can be, um, something that can be capitalized on. La. And I think, the courage, uh, I wouldn't say I'm courageous. I'm just being very uh, factual about um, my investment decisions. And the right decision for me is to go all in, right? Because um, 
end of the day, I know I'm going to be fine. You know, I know I can make money. I know that um, I'm my personal finance is like in super good shape, right? Even though I have debt, I know I can manage that. So I don't really foresee a situation, right, where I need to like, you know, I, I, I'm not in a situation where I'm going to have like personal financial issues. Like, I'm just not in that position because end of the day, it just comes back down to how much confidence you have in yourself. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I've come to a stage right now in my life where I'm just very confident in the fact that I know how to get out of situations if they're bad. Because, um, you know, I, I learned from experience I'm quite flexible in, like, financial matters. La. And the fact is, I'm good at it. So, um, I won't say I'm courageous. Uh, I'm probably courageous more in 2010 when I didn't know anything, right? But uh, <laughs> right now, at this, uh, at uh, 10 years later, I'm quite comfortable in, like, making the big decisions, right? Because um, it's like the same as what Chicken Genius did. La. He also went all in, right? And I can tell you, um, I can probably reflect his journey because I think his journey is similar as mine because it took him probably 10, 15 years, right, to come to the conclusion that all in is the right uh, thing to do. La. It doesn't, it's, it's not overnight. La. For me, it took me, you know, um, I've always been all in, but I've never been all in so comfortable before in my life. Yeah. Mm. So I don't say that I'm courageous. I would say that I am um, calm. I'm calm. Yeah. I like it. Calculated um moves uh rather than courage. I like yeah, that. So that's the best way to answer. La. And obviously both of us hope that you know you listeners you will eventually get there one day. You know, to summarize, just understand that it is not an overnight journey. For Ryan, it took him about two years and lots of like media cleanse and a lot of therapy sessions <laughs> personally for him to get to a point, right, where he's very comfortable to allocate investment. So don't expect yours if you are new to this, I don't expect for you to get comfortable in uh, overnight it's, it doesn't like for me it took me like 10 years uh, to get to a point right, where I'm very comfortable and that's because um, yeah, like, that's how long it took me uh, for Ryan you know he's a very fast learner so it only took him 2 years so, <laughs> so well, uh, my uh, mental uh, state was volatile as well yeah he was very uh, I would say like in terms of learning curve Ryan definitely uh, learned it faster than me uh, right so um, anything else you want to say Ryan before we sign off yeah I'll just, I'll just say like um Going all in has its benefits, but it's also not for everyone. Boys back down to risk appetite and personal finance management. And um, it does, uh, but um, if you ask me to like uh, do investing in another way, I would probably just go back all in uh, one way or another. So yeah, um, as always, um, invest safe and, um, and yeah. And also one last thing, uh, I would just like to extend my compassions and sympathies to people affected by the Ukraine-Russian aggression. I know we are talking about um, this um, situation from an investing point of view, which is slightly incompassionate um, in some ways. But um, yeah, just uh, just know that we are um, sympathizing with people that are, are affected here. And we pray yeah. for your, your well-being. Yeah, definitely. Our hearts go on, definitely go out to people who have been affected by the Ukraine and Russia crisis. We hope that, you know, people will get better um, in that situation. I hope that it's faster, like, gets resolved as soon as possible so that, you know, people can, like, move off with their lives. Lah. Like, uh, honestly, lies, innocent lives being taken, innocent lives being, like, thrown over should not be the answer. So let's pray and hope that people will get, you know, will overcome this lah. And uh, I do have, you know, as uh, ever optimist is, I believe that we will. Right. So um, last views for me on all in, like uh, just understand that no matter which asset class you choose, cash, property or stocks, just understand that you are always all in something. And that is something which you have to come to terms to. If you're not investing your money, you are all in in cash. 
So end of the day, it's good to reflect, take a step back, and always make active decisions. Right, so this is our episode for the All In Podcast today, RA21. We hope to see you again. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, for Ryan, it's Books and Stongs. For me, it's Aaron Goes Global. And our podcast is available on many platforms. You can just find us on Anchor. And we'll see you in the next podcast.